Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. I want to tell you a quick story. There's a, a picture I want to show you here on the screen of three guys. You may recognize one of the guys on the end, but I want to talk about the guy in the middle. His name is Ron Wayne. He, back in the 1970s, with these two guys to, on either side of him, decided they're going to start a business. And Ron Wayne was going to be the financier. The other guys were the brains of the operation, but he, Ron had the money. So they drew up an agreement to start this company. Ron had 10% ownership stake, and they started his business. And 12 days into it, Ron got cold feet. He's like, I don't think this is a good idea. Because he had money and these other guys didn't. And if the, the business didn't work, he felt like the creditors were going to come after him <laughs> and his assets and not the other two guys. So he's like, I'm out. And he sold his 10% stake in Apple computers for $800. So those two guys on the side of him, uh, that, that's... Uh, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. Yeah. 10% of Apple today, just so you know, it's worth about $250 billion. So, yeah, talk about missing out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Obviously, if Ron Wynn could go back and do it all over again, he would. But that's just life. You don't know how things are going to turn out. So maybe you've made a good investment before. Maybe you've missed out on a good investment before. But what if you could do it over again? What if I could give you $10,000 and put you in a time machine and take you back 10 years? What would you do with your 10 grand? What would you invest in? So if you would invest in, say, Amazon stock, because you get everything from Amazon anyway, and packages arrive on your doorstep daily, and you don't even remember purchasing them, but right, that $10,000 would turn into $125,000. But if you bought Tesla stock, 10 years ago, that would be worth just a little bit over a million dollars. So that would be even a better investment. I mean, think about that. 10000 to a million, that's really good. But I know where some of you are already thinking, you're like, no, 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 I know what I would have bought. I would have bought that internet money that nobody knew of back in 2012 called Bitcoin. And if you had done that and placed $10,000 in Bitcoin, then it would be worth about $76 million today. Not too bad. So we can't go back in time. Can't replay it. All we can do is decide what we're going to invest in right now. So what is the best investment opportunity of 2022? Is it stocks? Is it cryptocurrency? Is it buying real estate? Should you start a business? Should you uh, buy some kind of collectible that's going to be really valuable in 10, 20 years? What is it? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that you're not going to find it on the New York Stock Exchange. And you're not going to read about it in Forbes magazine. You're going to find it right here in the Bible. And specifically, I want to look at Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start reading in verse 10. To give you a little background, I want to show a, a little map of the area of the world uh, and give you a little bit of context for who's writing this book, who he's writing to. It's the Apostle Paul is the author. He's writing to the church at Philippi. So if you look on that uh, map up there, in the top corner, there's Rome. Paul is in Rome. He's in prison. He's waiting for his trial before Caesar. He's in bad shape. It's not a good season in his life. 
Philippi, the, the church that he started about 10 years previous to this, is up in the top middle. Do you see it kind of right there in the top middle? It was the first church ever started in modern-day Europe. Paul and Silas were traveling, preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus, starting churches. Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so he, he followed God's leading to go over to what is, what is modern-day Europe, and he went to Philippi, and him and Silas started preaching and telling people about Jesus. And they reached a lady named Lydia, who you read about in the book of Acts. And there was a fortune teller girl who, fortune teller girl who was demon-possessed. And uh, they cast the demon out of her, and it caused a big problem in that city because that girl made a lot of money for her owners. And, and now she could no longer tell fortunes. And so they turned the crowd against Paul and Silas, had them beaten, had them thrown in jail. And instead of being bitter or angry, Paul and Silas were just thankful that God had even seen fit to use them to preach the gospel. And they were in jail in the middle of the night. They're singing songs. God sends an earthquake. The jail doors fall down. The, the jailer is about to kill himself because he thinks the people have escaped. And Paul and Silas say, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And the jailer falls down on his knees and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas lead that man to the Lord and his family. This is that church. These are the people that 10 years ago Paul reached, and it's very likely that those people are still there at that church. Paul came back and visited them again, but now he's in Rome. And what has happened is the Philippian church has heard about it. They've taken up a special collection and sent it with a guy by the name of Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus has gone to Rome, brought Paul some money, encouraged him, stayed there for a while, and now he's going back. So before Epaphroditus goes back home to Philippi, Paul sits down and he writes a letter. And in the letter, as you read the book of Philippians, it's very encouraging. Joy is the theme of this book. It's a very positive book. But at the very end of the book, Paul gets around to talking about the money that they sent. And what Paul's going to tell the Philippian church bears some really important principles that we can gather even 2,000 years later after this book was written. So let's look. At Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 10. Paul says this, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. So Paul says, you know, I'm really thankful that you helped me out. Uh, I'm really thankful for the money that you sent. I know you wanted to help me, but you didn't have an opportunity before, but now you did, and, and that's great. But then in verse 11, he says this, not that I speak in respect of want, so not that I actually needed the funds, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I've learned to be okay in the good times and the bad times, is what Paul is saying. And I want to make three observations, three takeaways from this passage about what Paul teaches about financial generosity. First statement, first, first observation. Number one, God doesn't need your money. That's first and foremost. It jumps off the page to me as I read that passage, because when you get to verse 11, Paul is saying, oh, I'm thankful for the money. Then he says, not that I speak in respect of want. In other words, yeah, but I didn't need it. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody's going to send me money, that's probably not the first thing I'm going to say to them. Oh, hey, thanks for the money. Just so you know, I didn't need it. Because that sounds really ungrateful, right? 
What is Paul saying? Is he saying, oh, hey, actually, my bank account was full. This is just gravy. I didn't need that money. No, because he doesn't actually have any money. When I was in teen group, I remember, you know, I, had, I worked in the summer and worked a job. So, I mean, like, I had money. I had a bank account. Didn't have a lot of money, but I, I had some money. But when we'd have a youth activity, a lot of times, you know, you need some money to get some dinner or whatever. The, the activity costs some money. So a lot of times my mom would be like, oh, here's 10 bucks. Here's 20 bucks for the activity. And I will tell you right now, I don't think there was ever a time where I was like, oh, no, 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 I have money. Don't. I was like, yes, thank you very much. Okay. Actually, I think it cost $50, this activity. No, right. Yeah, sure. If you want to give me money, I'm not going to say no. Is this what Paul is saying, though? Is he saying, hey, just so you know, I didn't need the money because I'm actually good. I've got plenty of money. No, because if he didn't get money, he was going to have none. Why is Paul saying, I don't need the money? What he's saying is, whether or not I have money, if I'm poor or if I'm rich, if I'm, abound, if I'm abounding or if I'm abased, I'm good because I've learned to be content in God. Because God is my source of strength. That's what Paul is saying. He's ready to face whatever lies ahead, poverty, hunger, persecution, because his faith is in God, not in his money. You know, here this morning at Harvest, is God worried about what the offering is going to be? Is he worried about how much is going to come in for the capital campaign? No. Because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the creator. His will will be, he's not wringing his hands saying, oh, I don't know. If, if Harvest doesn't give enough money, I don't know how I'm going to reach Pittsburgh with the gospel, right? He doesn't need our money. Instead, what he does is he offers us an opportunity to be a part of his work. That's why in Philippians 4.13, a verse that's often misquoted and misunderstood, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Is Paul saying, whatever I feel like doing, I can do because I'm on God's team. I'm team Jesus, so I can do it. Is that what he's saying? Like, I can hit a home run, or I can score a touchdown, or I can get a raise at work, or I can lose 10 pounds because Christ strengthens me. No, no, he's saying, I can face whatever circumstances of life I'm in because my hope and my confidence is not in how much money I have, it's in who I know. And that's what we have to remember, that God doesn't need our money. So maybe you're thinking, okay, Nate, by the way, I just realized, I have to address this. I've been called Nate since college, but it's nice to be back in a place where everybody knows me as Nathaniel. So I don't care. Nathaniel, Nate. Some of you are like, Nate? What is, okay, so either way. Just don't call me Nathan, and don't call me Nate in front of my mom. That's the big thing, okay? Just, if she's around, just call me Nathaniel. Um, so maybe you're thinking, wow, uh, great. So God doesn't need my money, so I can just keep it in my pocket, because he's good. He's got this. All right, well, stick around, because we're not done yet. A few weeks ago, I was, um, I was home with Jaden. Charity had taken our two younger kids. She was out running some errands, and she was going to be back soon. And so I, I noticed that the living room's a mess, which, you know, when you have little kids, that's just, that's all, every day, living room ends up a mess. So I said to Jaden, I said, hey, help me pick up the living room. Because when my wife comes home, she notices if the house is clean, because women notice things, and guys are oblivious. Like if my wife paints the house this weekend, mm, it's 50-50 on whether I'm going to notice when I get back home. But my wife notices everything. So I, I knew she'd notice. Sure enough, so Jaden helps me clean up the living room. Sure, sure enough, she comes in. First thing she says is, oh, the house looks so clean. And Jaden's got this big grin on his face like, oh, I see. I cleaned the house for you. 
And, uh, and he was very happy and very proud of himself. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did I ask my six-year-old son to help me clean up the living room? Is it because I felt like, oh, this is going to take me forever. I need an extra hand. Mm, no. Right? It would have taken me two minutes to clean up the living room. Why did I want him to do that? Was it for my benefit or for his? It's for his, right? Sometimes we think that God's asking us to be generous or to give because he needs the help. Nope, he doesn't. But he wants us to be a part, which leads me to my second observation. So God doesn't need our money, but number two, God offers you an opportunity to invest in his kingdom. God's saying, hey, I want you to be a part. I want you to be on the team. I want you to see what I'm doing, and I want you to share in this process. Look at verse 14. Paul says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with me or with my affliction. So Paul's saying, listen, I mean, that was a good thing you did. I'm not trying to downplay. I'm not trying to say what you did is bad. Actually, that was a good thing, and it helped me because I'm in a, I'm in a tough spot right now. No doubt the money that was sent helped Paul in a very tangible way. Verse 15, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, so when I left, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Isn't that interesting? Out of all the places Paul had been and the churches that he had started, the Philippians were the only ones that were helping support him financially. Isn't that actually kind of surprising? So, the, Paul's saying, you guys are doing great. You're actually the only ones that have been helping me in this way. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessities. So this is like a, a pattern here. This is not the first time they've sent him money. They've done it multiple times. And Paul is commending them for this. But now notice verse 17, because to me, this is the linchpin. This is the key verse to this text. Paul says, not because I desire a gift. Do you know, if, if you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to work in what we would call full-time ministry, you shouldn't be doing it for the money. And, and I, I think I can speak with confidence when I say those who serve this church in a full-time capacity, they're not in it for the money. Okay? Paul was not saying, man, uh, Paul's trying to communicate to them, listen, this is not about you sent me some money and now I'm like, great, I can now go buy a new robe and some new sandals for myself. Thank you for supporting Apostle Paul Ministries Incorporated. I'm living large now because of the money you sent me. So no, it's not about me. I don't want you to send money so that I get some kind of benefit. You know what I want for you? You know what I desire for you, church at Philippi? Notice the second part of verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I want you to be a part so that you get credit in what's going on here. When I go to Chick-fil-A, there's two transactions that happen there. I go through the drive-thru, or I go up to the counter, I say, I would like a number one, no pickles, large with the Dr. Pepper, and then I hand my card over to pay for that order. But then I also take out my phone, and I scan the QR code, right? Because there's the, loyal, the rewards app. So what a great thing. I buy Chick-fil-A, I get points that I can use to get more Chick-fil-A later. It's a great system. And in a very simple way, in a very crude way, 
Paul is communicating to them that, listen, when you give and you're generous, there's actually two transactions going on here. Yeah, you're giving money to me, and that's going to help me to have shelter and food and to do the things that I need to do to continue my ministry, but there is another transaction, a heavenly transaction. There is credit in heaven to your account. There are heavenly rewards for what you've done here on earth, and I want you to realize that. I don't want you to miss out on that. In fact, I desire that for you. I want you to give to me, not for my sake, but for your sake. That is what Paul is trying to tell the Philippian church. When we give to God's work, we're making an investment in eternity. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, very famous verses here. He says, verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. A lot of us make the mistake of thinking, it's all about here and now, and I work hard, and I put the hours in, so I can have a good salary, and I can have a nice house, and drive a reliable car, and I can have a nice 401k account to retire on one day, and it's all about here and now. There's not anything necessarily wrong with things in the here and now, but if that's what your life is about, if, it's all, if all you're concerned about is with temporary stuff, Jesus says that goes away. That, the, the house goes into disrepair. The car breaks down and needs maintenance. Stuff uh, the clothes go out of style. The more things you have, the harder you have to work to protect the stuff you have in the first place. Don't make your life about that. Instead, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What Jesus is saying is you need to be focused on eternity. You need to be thinking about the things that you're investing in in heaven that don't ever go away. They're permanent. They're guaranteed. They never fade. That's what generosity is. It's an investment in eternity. Let's look now at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Paul writes to Timothy, his, his protege, his mentee. He says, Timothy, you're, you're, you're a young pastor. Charge them that are rich in this world. Timothy, the people that are in your church that are rich, you need to challenge them with something. And I, I, I'll just say today in this room, all of us here are rich. And I know you may not feel like you're rich because you're like, no, 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 you don't understand. By, by American standards, I'm... No, no, we're, we're all rich, okay? Maybe not by American standards, but by world standards and by history's standards, we're all way better off than 99% of people that have ever lived on this planet. We're rich. God's blessed us. He's given us a lot. So this is for us, okay? This challenge extends to us. It says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. You know what our tendency is? Our tendency is to think, I've got it, God. Until something goes bad, then I'll pray, then I'll ask for your help. But until then, as long as the job's there and the paycheck's coming in and I have money in the bank account and I have a place to live and a car to drive, and as long as I have that stuff, I'm good. I got it from here. And we're proud and we trust our stuff and we trust our riches. And Paul says, make sure they know that they don't trust their riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And instead of trusting your money, what should you do with it? Verse 18 that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. You know, if, if God's blessed you, great. Use it for good. Use it to help people. Use it for others. Don't be proud and selfish and self-centered. And then don't miss this, verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. When you are generous, when you help others, you're making an investment 
in eternity. I love what Randy Alcorn says. He puts it this way. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Because when you die, all your stuff's going to somebody else, right? Bank account, retirement account, house, furniture, all of it. It's all going to somebody else. You're not taking it with you. But every act of generosity is laying up treasure in heaven, and you're sending it on ahead. So, God doesn't need our money. He offers us an opportunity to invest in his kingdom. And thirdly and finally, God wants you to share in the blessing. God wants you to be a part of it. And when you're, when you're used as an instrument of generosity in the hands of God, it's a wonderful blessing. Verse 18, Paul says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. So, I'm good. My needs are taken care of. The money that you sent is great. And then notice what he says, because he uses some imagery here. He says, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, this is weird, because it's, it's a tough concept for us to wrap our minds around, but what Paul is saying is, the money that you gave me, you know what that's like? It's like when they would burn incense in the temple. It's like when they would take a sacrificial lamb and, burn, and, and, and place it upon the altar. And in the same way that God was pleased with those acts of worship, and he received those unto himself, that's what you have done. You have made a sacrificial gift, and in God's eyes, that is worshipful. Don't forget, folks, that our giving is an act of worship to our Creator. And then in verse 19, Paul says this, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Because that's how it works. God uses people to help people. And he wants us to help others. And when we do that, then guess what? God uses other people to be a blessing to us and to help us and to minister to us. And round and round it goes. And what we would like to do in our own selfishness is we would like to be a bucket. And we would like to place ourselves out on beneath the showers of, of heaven and say, Lord, bless me. Pour down your blessings from heaven and I will be happy to collect them all here in my bucket and enjoy your blessings. But God's not looking for you to be a bucket. God's looking for you to be a funnel. God's looking for you to receive his blessings and channel them somewhere else. And when we will do that, it's a wonderful thing. When we decide, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about this life. It's not about stuff here on earth. It's not about the temporary. It's about eternity. It's about what God's doing in this world. And I just want to be used in God's hand to channel those blessings. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's why in Acts chapter 20, in verse 35, I want to look at that just quickly, Paul writes this, he says, I have showed you all things that how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you know that to be true? Have you experienced that? Can you testify of that in your life that it's more blessed to give than to receive? Think about the times in your life where you've been generous. Do you regret those times? Do you look back at them and say, no, oh, that was dumb. I should have spent that on myself. I should have taken another vacation. I should have... <laughs> no. And maybe you look back at times of life where you should have been generous and you weren't, and a lot of times those are times where you say, man, I, I, I wish I, I would. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So back to our original question. What's the best investment opportunity of 2022? If I told you there was an investment, and it was verifiable, like it wasn't like a Ponzi scheme or a scam or something, it was like, you could get 30% guaranteed return every year. 
It's real. You can see it. It's verifiable. There it is. Would you invest? I dare say you would. And I dare say you would probably make some financial adjustments to free up more money to invest, right? Do we believe God's word to be true about investing in eternity? Do we, do we really believe it to be true? Because God says it's guaranteed. It's going to happen. God's backing it up. He's vouching for it. And this is not some kind of like 10-year deal, 20-year deal, 30-year. This is forever. This is eternal dividends that never stop. This is the best investment opportunity of 2022. But do we really believe it? Do we take God at his word? Are we going to end up like Ron Wayne? Are we going to be the guy that looks back years from now and is just kind of kicking himself saying, hmm, I missed it. If I had only known, if I had only seen how much better I would be now, are we going to miss out? Or are we going to take advantage of this wonderful opportunity God has given us to be a part of his work? Usually, at this point in the message, I would say to the church, you know, what would happen if people got on board? What, what would happen at this church if we got a hold of this concept, but I, I can't help but just this weekend being here and hearing about the capital campaign, and it takes me right back to about 15 years ago, and there's a lot of faces in the room, like, you, you know what I'm talking about, we did a capital campaign for this building, and I remember that very keenly, and I remember talking about going over and above, not above and beyond, over and above was our theme for that, and just talking about, hey, let's, let's give sacrificially. But in all of that, you know what we were talking about? We were talking about, man, think and envision one day a place where we'll be able to reach so many more people with the gospel. And so many more lives will be changed and impacted and families that will be helped because of what we're doing. Guess, guess what? We're here. You're here. The faces that, I'm, that I don't recognize, you're here because of what some people did back then, and a lot of them aren't even in the room. They're somewhere else. And you know what's really cool? 15 years from now, there will be people sitting in another room that you've never seen their face before, and they're not here today, but they'll be helped. And their lives will be changed, and God will be doing a work in their life because of what you're doing. That's how it goes, folks. God's doing things. God's moving, and he's saying, won't you be a part? Won't you take advantage of that investment opportunity? Won't you lay up treasure in heaven? The best investment opportunity of 2022 is the one that's going to last forever. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again, and I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the Word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time. I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. 
Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in Western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.